You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, we've got one story on the show for you. A story about Seneca Nation people who are working to reclaim a language that was almost completely lost to them. It does come with a feeling of pride, too, to be able to speak that language um, that that our elders and our ancestors spoke before us. That's coming up on your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. This story actually starts in the 1800s, when the U.S. and Canada established what were called Indian boarding schools. The schools were a place where indigenous children were sent and forced to assimilate to white Christian culture. And what followed was a century and a half of cultural erasure, where native customs and traditions were forbidden. Rules were enforced through corporal punishment, solitary confinement, and withholding food. Older students were sometimes made to punish younger children. Abuse in all forms was rampant. And about a year ago, over 200 children's remains were found at the site of one of these residential schools in British Columbia in Canada. My colleague Noelle Evans has been reporting on this. And recently, she spent some time in the Seneca Nation office in the Tonawanda Territory in western New York. There, she found people who have spent decades working to undo some of that damage, specifically by revitalizing their language. She has this story. Twenty-two-year-old Jaden Parker stands at his desk. His long black hair is tied back in a low ponytail. He's reading the words of a springtime ceremony for the maple trees. It's written on a whiteboard at the front of a small classroom. Parker is the only student in his class. His task is to preserve the language, in part by transcribing recordings of native speakers. It's the language that, uh, in our belief, that our creator gave to us. So it does... uh, come with a feeling of pride, too, to be able to speak that language um, that, our, that our elders and our ancestors spoke before us. This is a matter of life and death for the Seneca language and every aspect of the culture and traditions linked to it. The language is at risk of extinction. According to the Endangered Languages Project, there are fewer than 50 native Seneca speakers. We were told that this was going to happen at one point. So there's a prophecy that the language would be lost? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's Wayne Abrams, Parker's teacher. He says one of the school's major influences is the late Chief Corbett Sundown, who led the Tonawanda Seneca community from the 1930s until the early 90s. Many of Sundown's speeches were recorded. Today, those recordings and their transcripts are resources for classes. He was one of the last fluent speakers of Seneca. He worked with a specialist to preserve the language, which was controversial at the time. He kind of got criticized for working with that linguist 
because of what he does to our language. He really breaks it apart and applies rules to it, and it kind of takes away from, you know, the specialness of the language a lot of times. Abram says one of Sundown's reasons was personal. He's recording all these things, he says, because what he thinks is that when he dies, that there's going to be no one to speak at his funeral. And what they're going to do is they're going to put this tape in, and that's what they're going to play at his, his funeral. Without the Seneca language, funeral rites could go missing. Wedding ceremonies could be lost. Some ceremonies have already disappeared. Abram says they'd rather not perform a ceremony at all than perform it in English. Some things just don't translate. And the Seneca language is not alone in this. According to the online language encyclopedia Ethnologue, there are 164 dying languages in the U.S. alone. Experts with the Indigenous Language Institute say there used to be more than 300 indigenous languages here. At Tonawanda, the fight to preserve Seneca looks a lot like a first-grade class. And a third-grade class. And a college seminar. Jamie Jacobs used to be the school director here. Now he is the curator of Seneca artifacts with the Rock Foundation at the Rochester Museum and Science Center. He says Seneca is complex, but to put it simply, there are two distinct ways of speaking, conversationally and philosophically. Take the word home, for instance. We can just say, you know, aknosud, which just means my standing house. But we have a very complex way of saying my home, and we say, Literally, that means, it bites on my mind. So I guess that re- refers to the effect of, like, being homesick or being away from home and something just pulling you back home. But literally, that's what it means. Seneca is also a polymorphic language, meaning one word can end up encapsulating an entire phrase or complete sentence. To speak and understand Seneca and hear it, you actually have to think twice as fast because when somebody speaks one sentence in Seneca, they're actually speaking probably half a paragraph. Learning the intricacies of the language has been reshaping Jacob's worldview since the early 2000s. It was how he and his great-grandmother used to connect. Sometimes, she would translate recordings of his great-great-grandfather singing. But there are at least two generations in his family who do not speak Seneca. It's partly a result of Indian boarding schools that Native American children were compelled to attend from the early 1800s through the late 1960s, according to the Department of the Interior. There, students were abused and beaten for speaking their native language. Their hair cut, their identities largely erased. I do remember my great-grandmother telling stories because her brothers and sisters were sent to boarding school. You know, they were sent to the Thomas Indian School. So that cut off, you know, this, you know, holistic way of, you know, handing down language, whereas now I have to learn it as a second language. For Jacobs, reconnecting to his heritage through the language has led to unearthing moments in history that are in a way still alive today. There's words for things we have that our ancestors didn't have 200 years ago. So we didn't have coins, but we have a word for a coin, but we stuck. That means fish scale. So our ancestors had to descale fish, and they, you know, they used fish skin for different things. So now when I say the word for oh, we stuck, 
I don't just picture a silver coin. I picture a fish scale, and I picture my ancestors descaling fish, and I picture them doing all these things. And that gives me a lot of pride, and it gives me a lot of inspiration. Jacob says Seneca is a dynamic language. It keeps evolving, just as the Seneca people have. And for Jacobs, with every new word he learns, there is a deepening sense of connection to himself, to his community, his ancestors. There's continuity with a way of life that was taken away from him and others. And perhaps there's a greater sense of belonging, knowing you have a place in the world, if not in the universe. And that's something that can be shared with anyone, people who live on the same land that has been the home of Seneca traditions and those farther away. I think that if more people just understood our language, you know, even just have a general sense of how it works and how we think, well, then I think more people would be more open and fascinated to learn about who we are. Noelle Evans is the education reporter for WXXI News. And that's it for Earshot. Subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes in your feed every Friday. Find even more local news on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.